And here we go, back for another edition of the For the Win podcast. I am Will Camardella. Shorter group today, joined by just Jack Hallinan and Daniel Palmore. Uh, Jack, how was your first weekend without football? Uh, you know, it's okay. I, I love the NFL, uh, but I honestly think the NBA holds a slightly higher uh, place in my heart. Maybe the rest of uh, the United States does not really agree with me in that regard. Um, I'm just excited to see hopefully another Cavs playoff run. Although I can't say that the All-Star weekend was particularly entertaining. Daniel, no football. You do okay? Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to agree with Jack here. I also love the NBA. It's my favorite sport. So my first weekend without football is um, it was okay. Uh, the All-Star weekend kind of put a damp in it. But uh, we're going to dive into that pretty shortly here. So Yes, yeah, so I guess this is your, uh, your guys' show then because this is going to be a heavy NBA show off what it's supposed to be. It's premier regular season event slash weekend. Uh, NBA All-Star Weekend happened in Indiana over the last couple of days. They did their uh, Rising Stars Challenge and their Celebrity Game on Friday. You had all the skills competitions on Saturday. And you had the game on Sunday, which ended with, uh, they went back to the conference format. The East won 211 to 186. Uh, No defense whatsoever uh, on Sunday Night Jack. Yeah, well, I mean, it was that Adam Silver uh, post-game speech where he's just, he doesn't know what to say to the players. He's like, you guys just completely let me down. Uh, and he says something along the lines of like, well, you scored the most points, so here's your trophy. Um, and he clearly was extremely unhappy with uh, with what he had just witnessed. And I think like it, the game just doesn't have a clear purpose anymore. You know, back in the olden days when it was harder to watch games on TV and Stars didn't necessarily have national exposure if they weren't in big markets. The All-Star Game was a way to get people exposure. In the era of social media, it's completely redundant. We are able to see all of these guys' highlights every day of the week. And, you know, them being able to pull up from half court with no defense is not as impressive when, frankly, a lot of players can pull up from half court in a regular game these days. Um, So it just doesn't have a clear purpose anymore. I'm not really sure what the average NBA fan is supposed to glean from this kind of weekend other than some kind of silly fun. Um, Like, Daniel, do you have any idea of what purpose this serves at this point? Jack, before I get into my thoughts on All-Star Weekend, and and I'm glad glad you set it up for me because I just want to give a quick shout-out to my my guy, Damian Lillard. He had a terrific All-Star Weekend, winning the three-point contest back-to-back on Saturday and then winning the All-Star Game MVP even though he was basically just chucking up threes the whole time because nobody was contesting him. Great confidence booster for Dame going into a crucial stretch of the season. I'm not going to put too much stock into it, but (laughs) the fact that he won the three-point contest again and won the All-Star Game MVP, let's get Dame going a little bit, and let's get this Dame and Giannis duo back to where it needs to be. But back to the original question, the purpose of All-Star Weekend, honestly, no, I don't think... I don't think it really serves that purpose that it was supposed to be because I think I was watching a Kobe Bryant clip the other day and he said it's a collection of some of the greatest players in the NBA all coming together and playing a pickup game. And why should it be any different from the effort that these guys put into their pickup games at UCLA? Because there should be some competitive drive, some natural like competitive uh, force that the players have to want to go at each other. The last time we really saw that was the 2020 All-Star Game in Chicago when it went right down to the wire. They had the special format in the fourth quarter, getting to the target score, which is something they did different this year. They got rid of it. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, the game itself is uh, basically unwatchable. I mean, if you're a diehard NBA fan, I think you're going to watch it, but most casual fans are not going to want to watch a basically an open gym practice shot type of game. Uh, it's so interesting. They did so much messing around with the format over the last couple of years. They did the thing with the all-star teams. They did the target score that led to that great 2020 game they were talking about. There were moments of actual interest in the all-star game in the last couple of years. Silver inexplicably goes back to East versus West, and it's exactly the it, it uh, falls right back into the kind of game they were trying to avoid there were five combined free throws in the game between the two teams, if you want to know. I'm surprised there were any free what throws. What kind of defense there was in the paint. I mean, there were memes going around about Luka Doncic. He only had single-digit points in these things because he literally does not try. Basically, if you wanted to have a big night in the All-Star game, all you had to do was get the rebound. You had to work hard enough to get the rebound. You could just fast break down the floor and get an easy dunk. You'd probably get 50 points that way, honestly, if you really tried at it. Uh, look, it's a complete waste of time in my opinion i don't see any purpose of doing it the nfl figured this out a couple years ago just based basically saying we know what this is we're going to flag football and nobody cares about it but at least the nfl is honest about what the product is I, I don't know what the nba equivalent of flag football would be it would have to be basically what we saw on sunday night um i mean i don't know how much more there is to say about it but however i think the the big star of the weekend has become all-Star Saturday night because those are the more interesting events, the sort of things that, you you know, you debate around a, a table or on a sports show, like three points and all, all that. Uh, Jack, is there anything from Saturday night that uh, piqued your interest? Well, I mean, of course, the Steph Sabrina uh, showcase, that was probably the most positive thing that came out of this All-Star weekend. And I, I think that's awesome. You know, I think giving NBA, sorry, excuse me, WNBA players more exposure like that is a tremendous thing for their game. Getting the synergy between the men's and women's sides, also a great thing. I just, I worry that that's not really replicable because it's a gimmick that you can kind of do once, maybe twice or three times before it just becomes like another one of these cogs in the all-star break uh, machine. Like the, the dunk contest, the complaint for many years has been the star players do not compete anymore. Jalen Brown gives it a shot and then, yeah. you know, doesn't, really put his heart and soul into it doesn't have at least the most spectacular routine so that clearly wasn't really the answer to the problem anyway it was well it was also that Jalen Brown was doing it with Mac McClung Jacob Toppin and I forget Jaime Hawkes. Jaime Hawkes shout out UCLA I I, I mean it, it was not I mean J Jacob Toppin doesn't play Mac McClung's in the G League you you would want ideally in a game like I mean Probably not anymore, but like LeBron 10 years ago, who just refused to do it. I mean, you said Michael Jordan in that event. The one thing the three-point contest has going for it is, obviously, Steph was doing his own thing with uh, Ionescu, but that's sort of a different thing, and Steph's done it plenty of times. Generally speaking, the best players, the best three-point shooters in the league are doing the three-point contest. So there is a lot of intrigue there. I mean, that's clearly why it's the best part of the weekend. It's because it is actually best against best, and you're not mailing in a three-point contest. Yeah, no, for sure. The three-point contest has become my favorite part of the weekend. And, Will, you said it last week. The uh, contestants for the dunk contest become funnier every year because <laughs> less and less people want to do it. And then, But you look at the guys who participate in the three-point contest. Obviously, Steph and Dame, those guys are going to be the draws. But you get a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, who's a seven-footer and basically shoots it like it's effortless. And he won the three-point contest uh, two years ago, I think, because Dame won it last year. So, I mean, yeah, the three-point contest is where it's at. And they've also kind of expanded it a little bit where you get like the like the starry ball or whatever that's yeah. worth uh, three or four points. So, I mean, 
yeah, that's the best part of the Saturday night. I don't even know what the skills challenge is anymore. I don't I don't watch that at you all. You didn't like Anthony Edwards with the left hand doing mm, the No, I mean <laughs> see that and that's the problem with All Star Weekend. You have a guy like Anthony Edwards who people are saying this guy has a chance to be the next face of the NBA and he's coming out and treating All Star Weekend like it's a joke, saying, I'm gonna go out and shoot with my left hand the whole time. So I think that's something that that's one of the problems with with All Star Weekend right there. The players just simply don't care to put enough effort in to make it watchable for the fans and I'm not really sure I can blame them because it is just an exhibition game it comes at a point in the season where the playoffs are gonna come up really soon so nobody's trying to get hurt in the all-star game but I mean Adam Silver's got a lot to in the NBA PA they got a lot to figure out in terms of making all-star weekend enjoyable again well you know I, I think what you could do is you say you know maybe the one-on-one you know how many women's basketball players are you going to bring in to compete with Steph Curry, right? The greatest three-pointer shooter in NBA history. People are saying, you know, when Caitlin Clark goes pro, they want to see that. But one more interesting way you could keep it th- uh, fresh, I-, I think. What if we did contests that reflected more of the range that the NBA players have today? It's no longer a complete rarity to see a guy pulling up from the logo, whether it be a Curry or a Lillard or all the different guys who try it. What if we had, you know, Steph Curry and Dame do a game of horse, you know? I mean, that would be much more entertaining than anything we saw on site. You know, you can be creative with this and do events that are sort of fun ways to reflect where the game is, but doing a 48-minute uh organized game i just don't see the purpose anymore. yeah I, I think the one thing we've established in this conversation is that it's the new ideas that spark interest you know like when we first had the points uh total target excuse instead of the the time limit that was clearly something new something different something interesting same with the players drafting each other like we kind of like to see who in the nba you know respects and values e- like each other from a, a competitive perspective um, I don't think players have any like conference loyalty. That's why yeah. part of why East West is not really that interesting. I mean, they anymore. change conferences every year. I mean, <laughs> well, and that's why maybe in the future they should do a World versus USA All Star yeah. game. I think that would be something that basketball fans are genuinely interested in seeing. And can the U.S. even put up a team right now that competes with Jokic, Giannis, Luca, Shea? You know, put in the fifth player there, Wemby, maybe in a couple of years. I, I don't think I don't think the U.S. can hold a candle to that right now personally but like that would at least be a new gimmick that keeps people entertained and maybe spark some life into an individual event yeah and i mean they kind of changed up the draft format last year when it was in utah because they picked the teams right before the game so it was it was kind of like a playground style team captain draft kind of thing and i actually like the the draft format because it actually makes the votes mean something too because the leading vote getters in both conferences become the captains to pick their teams so I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the NBA can do to fix this. I mean, in terms of new ideas, something that I would love to see, and this is definitely not my original idea because I've seen it all over the place. Let's get like a one-on-one tournament going, something on Saturday night, like a three to five dribble max one-on-one tournament. See who can come out on top. I don't think the players are going to want to do that because I think uh, NBA egos are a little too fragile nowadays. Yeah. For, so you're uh, running into the like same problem happen. as the dunk contest, unfortunately. Yeah. But look. The game is over. The NBA is going to stay off till Thursday because, you know, all the All-Stars now, they get a chance to be where they really want it to be, which is Turk and Kankos or Cancun or wherever. Um, But they're going to come back on Thursday, 33 games in the regular season. And you're going to see, you know, the dog days of February, January can get a little bit slow. It's going to pick up coming off off the break very, very quickly because both of these conferences are very, very tight. And that's where we're going to transition into sort of looking ahead to the home stretch of the NBA regular season. And we'll, I, we'll do it by conference. We'll start 
in the West, the local conference, um, this is extremely tight. If you just look at the loss column, six losses separate Oklahoma. No, I'm sorry. Seven losses separate Minnesota at one and Sacramento at eight. I mean, one bad week for the Timberwolves. They could tumble down the standings. Uh, meanwhile, the Lakers and Warriors sort of hanging in the back of that conference with 26 losses. Not good enough to get into that top eight, but probably far enough ahead of the Utahs of the world to stay in the play-in. But really, that one through eight is interesting. What do you look for in the West the rest of the way, Jack? Well, I think going back to your point about the top to bottom, even though the Lakers and Warriors are a step behind right now, I think we're actually going to see that conference even crunch up even more. The The Lakers are 7-3 and three in their last 10. Warriors are 8-2 and two in their last 10. If we see that com- like competitive level continue, this conference is going to get even tighter and even uh, you know more splitting hairs between the spots. I am just curious if the Timberwolves and the Thunder have the requisite experience to take it all the way here. Obviously, I think we all think these are both good teams. Shea is obviously uh, close to an MVP candidate right now, if not one already. Um, but the Clippers have that experience. Denver obviously just won the title last season. Are we kind of going to see that, uh, you know, title winning experience emerge as we get later into the season here. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I mean, just in the West specifically, I, I think Jack, you mentioned them already two teams that I'm really going to be paying attention to are the uh, Phoenix suns and the golden state warriors. Cause both of them are kind of hitting their groove. They had a rough beginning to the season, but I mean, warriors eight and two in the last 10 games, and they maybe found some new formula with clay Thompson. Maybe, maybe bringing him off the bench is the way to go. He's kind of very up and down season. And I mean, the uh, the Suns traded for Roy, uh, Royce O'Neal at the trade deadline, which I thought was a very good pickup for them. Uh, 3 and D wing player uh, fits great with their team. But I mean, Will, you brought it up. This conference is just so um, jam-packed in terms of the standings. Like, I mean, I remember before the break, I think the Clippers were the one seed at one point, and then they lost one game and dropped all the way down to four. So, I mean, this the race is going to come down to the very end. I'm not sure the Timberwolves and the Thunder, just because of their experience, are true championship contenders. I would lean towards uh, the Clippers and the Nuggets, those veteran teams that have playoff experience. But it's going to be a fun finish in the West for sure. Yeah, the Clippers are are so interesting to me because we're finally seeing that group get healthy. I mean, they've had Kawhi and Paul George on that team since, what, 2020? And barring the bubble year, they just haven't all been healthy at the same amount of time for a sustained period. Both of them had played at least 48 of their 50-some-odd games this season, not to mention James Harden in the fold. And all of a sudden, they're uh, one game back in the loss column of first in the conference. So it's one of the, they've been sort of a sleeper cell organization that's finally looking to get right here. And although they haven't done it together, Kawhi Leonard is no stranger to deep playoff runs. He's done it in multiple places. He's an outstanding defensive player, which you have to be given against some of the forces you have to go against in the Western Conference, not the least of which LeBron James, who was shut down before in his career. Uh, But you're still looking at that 4-5 range of of Denver, obviously the defending champs who I would assume you would consider the favorite going in uh, to the postseason if they continue on the the streak they're on. Uh, And then Phoenix with Kevin Durant, who has got to be under a lot of pressure to get something done in Phoenix, right? It didn't – I mean, the only places he's been able to win a finals – were a ready-made Golden State Warriors team. It didn't work out in Brooklyn, and he has not, I believe, gotten to a conference final in Phoenix yet. 
He uh, hasn't even. I think he's only won one. He's play, only won run one playoff series since year. leaving the Warriors against the Clippers last season. I right, 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 right. Yep. So or that, two playoff series, I guess, counting the Brooklyn years. So yeah. Phoenix, you know, right now it's looking like they could be on a collision course with Denver in the first round. Kevin Durant, at some point, he's got to find a way to get something done there. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, with the Suns this season, they are good when they're big three plays. Uh, the question is, are they going to be healthy in crunch time? Um, and, you know, they have a very uh, perimeter-oriented offense with the three players that they have. Is that how you win in today's NBA? I'm not sure. Obviously, Jokic is kind of like an inside-out. He can shoot the three, but at the end of the day, he's still a big. Um, you know, the Celtics are going to have a similar presence with Kristaps uh, Porzingis, Giannis. Um, I'm not sure the Suns are going to be able to go far with the level of big play that they have from Nurkic and whoever else fills in minutes there, but we'll see. And then another thing about the Suns, they still haven't found that true point guard, playmaker, distributor because Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, uh, Devin Booker, we know they can all put the ball in the basket at very high clips, but none of them are going to, nobody's going to walk around and say that they're, all of them are super great playmakers. I think Kevin Durant can be. I think he showed that. Um, in the Brooklyn series when he was down hardening Kyrie and he was sort of forced to get other teammates involved to kind of help him out even though he uh, came up short in that series. So I wonder if the lack of a true point guard is going to be the thing that prevents the Suns from uh, going deep into the playoffs this year. Daniel, if you had to pick a Western Conference team to go to the finals before the second half of the season starts, who would you take? I'm still going to take the Nuggets. I trust them the most out of anybody. They entered the All-Star break on a three-game losing streak, so they kind of hit a rough patch. But I think Nikola Jokic is easily the best player in the West, and I trust them more than anybody come playoff time. Jack? Clippers. Uh, I love Ty Lue as a coach. Obviously, won Cleveland a title. Um, Kawhi, if he stays healthy, is maybe the best playoff player currently in the NBA uh, so I'm going to trust that yeah Daniel I'm with you on Denver I hate to sound shock and, and agree with you and they are the defending NBA champions but I just look at the top of this conference the Clippers are going to give them a heck of a run but that could take all the way to the uh, probably be a second round matchup the way it's looking but again this all can change in an eye blink but the teams at the top of the conference right now, Minnesota and Oklahoma City, they are so unproven in these spots. You both touched on it. And when that comes to a playoff series, there's something too. Let's say the Timberwolves hang on and they are the they wind up as the one seed. Let's say they see LeBron James and the eight seed Lakers out of the play in. You know, there's some there's a lot of pressure when it comes to starting a series like that at home in front of your fans as the team expected to do it when LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the other end. When you're on the road, you can just you know play the no one in the outside this locker room believes in us. We're going to go out and play our game. We're going to shock them with our, our youth. No, you would have to go in that series by default as the favorite, being a one seed who never lose to eight seeds, basically, historically, in the NBA. And Oklahoma City in a similar spot. They could wind up facing Luka and Kyrie, two, two guys who... Uh, know how to handle these postseason situations. Uh, SGA just does not have that experience. Look, this is how you get it, but they don't have it yet. Uh, so I think a lot of chaos happens, and at the end of the day, cream rises to the top, and that's the Denver Nuggets. Now let's look at the Eastern Conference. This is where our loyalties lie. Also very tight in the middle of the con Boston's got it on lock right now. They're uh, five up on Cleveland in the loss column for first in the conference, but two through eight, are separated by eight in the loss column. Uh, three through eight is actually separated by just four. So Cleveland separated a little bit 
in the second seed. And then you've got a logjam of Milwaukee, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Pacers, the Heat, sort of in the middle of that conference trying to stay out of the play and maybe get home court. you got the most favorable advantage. I think we'd all agree Boston's the favorite right now. But what's really intriguing you, Dan? Look, you're a Bucks guy. Uh, I'll ask you about the Bucs. Um, you said earlier you're talking about Dame Lillard maybe getting some confidence back, but they have not been good since the coaching change. Uh, what what needs to get fixed in the last 30 games? Yeah, I mean, Will, you mentioned it. Three and seven under Doc Rivers as a head coach. And I mean, statistically speaking, their defense is a little bit better, but in terms of the eye test, there isn't that much there. And I mean, the offense has really, really struggled. They were top three under Adrian Griffin, and now they're sort of middle of the pack. I just need to see... It's going to come down to Damon Giannis. They they have good role players, Brooke Lopez, but they need to figure out in these last like 30 games or whatever how to get this duo to click so that they're both getting their numbers at the same time. And I mean, they got to figure it out and they got to figure it out fast because I'm looking at the standings right now. And if the playoffs were to start today, they would play the Pacers in the first round. And that would be an absolutely horrific matchup for the Bucks because Indiana has given them a lot of trouble this year, they beat them four out of five times with the extra game being from the in-season tournament. So Dame, Giannis got to figure it out. And then, I mean, just bring Doc Rivers along for the ride, I guess, because I don't I'm not trusting him to be the reason that the Bucks are going to win the East or even win the finals. It's going to come down to the superstars. They need to figure out how to click and somehow get everybody else to come along with them. Jack, the Cavaliers are nine and one in the last 10. They're the hottest team in the Eastern Conference, hottest team in the NBA over their last 10 games, why have they been clicking so well in the last uh, three weeks? I think it's because they figured out a rotation that really works in regular season basketball. They play hard defense. They have very versatile defenders. I mean, either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley when they're in are a great presence at the five. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell is kind of a, a cheat code at times. I mean, that dude just scores like few others in the league. I am still concerned, though, long term, as we saw as a Cavs fan, from the Knicks series last season, both the two big situation with Mobley and Allen and the two guard situation with Garland and Mitchell was not really clicking on, on either side. And these players can sometimes get kind of like get in each other's way. Um, obviously, a playoff series offensively is going to get a little bit more clogged up and less uh, spacious than some regular season games where, um, you know, they're a little bit more laissez-faire. And so I just don't know if this team is built for playoff basketball yet. Um, they have a lot of pieces that I really like, but I'm not sure, you know, if as things currently stand, if they end up having to play the Knicks again in the second round or even the Bucks. I don't really know how they stop Giannis. Not that anyone in the league can stop Giannis. I guess Evan Mobley is as good uh, a defensive weapon to throw at him as anything, but... I'm just not sure this team is playoff ready yet, as good as their regular season numbers have been. I understand the concern there. I will point out, though, that if you're a Cavaliers fan, just to keep it on the theme of sort of the regular season, that two spot is exactly where you want to be because the one team you have to avoid if you're in the Eastern Conference until you have to play them is those Boston Celtics. So being in that two or three spot in the conference is going to be crucial because that keeps you away from them. Uh, to until the conference finals, uh, Daniel, you just said you're worried about some areas of the Bucks. Jack, you still said you don't trust the Cavaliers in the playoffs. Uh, I'll talk about my concerns with the Knicks in a second, and obviously the Sixers uh, have an Embiid injury that no one really knows when he'll be back and when he'll be 100. percent Not to mention that's not a great postseason team anywhere. So being in a two-three situation where you just have to worry about beating another vulnerable team versus those 43-12 and 12 Celtics in the second round, that's going to be the biggest thing in the world. Now, I'll, I'll touch on the Knicks for a second because they round out that top four. 
Uh, if you've only been watching the NBA for 10 years, you may not have that much experience with what the New York Knicks hype train looks like in the national media because they've been so bad for so long. But when it's humming, it's humming. The Madison, Madison Square Garden had a playoff atmosphere at the end of January, start of February, when the Knicks were absolutely white hot. I think they ripped off uh, something like nine games in a row, may have been even more than that. It was an insane winning streak that they had. But something happened that was just beyond their control, and that was just a ton of injuries. Randall gets hurt against Miami. OG Ananobi got hurt in that same game. Now, DiVincenzo's uh, banged up a little bit. Mitchell Robinson missed another time. The Knicks, on paper, I believe, have a real chance of going to the conference finals. But the problem is, you know, with the timetables and guys saying, being said they're going to be day-to-day and then missing a ton of time, when are we going to see what they are on uh, on paper? Because the team they're putting out in the court is one where Jalen Bryce Brunson is basically asked to carry the offense by himself. There was a game, national television, against the Lakers where they literally double-teamed him on every possession, and the Knicks had like an eight-point quarter. That's what's going to happen when they play good teams until they get healthy. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Knicks, I could argue, Will, that they – may have been the winners of the trade deadline. You spoke about some of the issues maybe concerning their depth because it's a lot of Jalen Brunson uh, heavy offense right now. But I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks were putting up really good numbers on a losing team in Detroit. And I mean, they're going to join a Knicks team that they're not going to be relied upon to be the number one or two options. So, I mean, look out for like a Boyan Bogdanovich, like 20 to 25 point playoff game because he there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him to be that guy offensively. So I think they really added to their depth in terms of scoring. And then the, the one last thing I want to say about the East is we got to stop letting the Miami Heat hang around in, the, in that play-in range because if they get into the play-in tournament and get out of the play-in tournament, I'm not saying they're going back to the finals, but I mean 30-25, and 6-4 and four in the last 10. They've been without uh, Jimmy Butler for the last few games. He's dealing with a uh, personal family matter. So, um, I mean, when Jimmy Butler gets back and if they get into the playing tournament, get into the playoffs, they are not going to be an easy out. They're never an easy out. I know that uh, all too well uh, watching the playoffs over the last few years. So, I mean, Knicks in the heat, um, watch out for them. They had they had you calling for the abolition of the charge last week. Yep, yep. Get I still stand on that, by the way. Get rid of the charge, but I don't want to get uh, too deep into that. Yeah, you stole the point about the heat that I was going to make there, Daniel. Like, you can't count them out one of the league's best coaches, one of the league's most clutch players. Um, they just pull rotational players out of you-know-where. Um, Jaime Jaquez has been one of the league's best rookies. I mean, like, if he's their third or fourth player, best player going into a playoff series, like, that's a great spot for him to really shine and just show, like, the competitive nature that he, you know, learned from a guy like Mick Cronin at UCLA. Like, he's just not going to quit in a playoff series. Um, so I, they're scary and uh, the Pacers are in sixth ahead of them, obviously, but that team can't play defense. So, yeah. um, I don't think they have any real playoff future. Fair enough. I think, you know, look again, it's so tight in that three through eight range. That's why I worry about the Knicks health just because again, you know, on paper, they could be really scary in the playoffs, but if this Jalen Brunson do everything team continues to get thrown out there and guys don't get healthy, they could tumble into the seven and all of a sudden you could be looking at a first round matchup with Boston. But we'll see how it all plays out. Not knowing what the matchups are going to be right away. Just saying based on what you've watched through 50 games this year, Daniel, your biggest threat to Boston in the East. I assume we all think Boston probably wins the conference. Um, Right now, I'm still, even though I have my suspicions, the biggest threat to the Celtics has to be the Bucks because when you look at the star power between Dame and Giannis, you could argue that Giannis is um, a top one or two player in the league. I wouldn't put him any lower than three, in my personal opinion. 
So when you look at what they can do in terms of that duo, I think they have to be the biggest threat to the Celtics. I would like to say the Cavs personally because that's my team, but I'm too worried about their ability to just throw the Celtics' ability, excuse me, to just throw Drew, Drew Holiday and Derek White at you know Dev, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, and it's just game over for the Cavs. Um, I'm gonna say the Knicks for now. I, I can't get over the Bucks dysfunction right now. I mean, their record since Doc has come in is just really not encouraging. Um, and as much as you know, Giannis is the biggest problem for any team in the NBA right now. Maybe maybe save Jokic. Um, the Knicks just have the competitive energy and spirit right now under Tibbs to yeah. play the Celtics like kind of similarly to how I imagine the Celtics will play in the playoffs. I'm worried about the Knicks' health. I'm worried about the Bucks under Doc Rivers. The team that's looked the best on the court has been the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Jack, your concern is a lot about last season. Uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson really did a great job uh, against Evan Mobley last year in the postseason. But who's to say the Cavs definitely play the Knicks again in the playoffs? Who knows that they'll have to face Joel Embiid? That may not happen. Uh, I'm also worried about the Sixers' health. The best team on the court outside of Boston has been the Cavaliers, and they have a big-time player who's brought in some big-time postseason performances before that being Donovan Mitchell. I will take tentatively the Cavaliers, but right now, again, I, I don't see anybody touching Boston. I will say one final point. If Evan Mobley somehow takes a step up in the next you know, month and a half, I do think it's a drastically different series. And he's he's been more... Uh, I would say consistent. It's a small, very small sample size when it comes to shooting the three um, since he returned from injury. But he, you know, he hit three for three against San Antonio at the start of this month. Uh, went two for two one night. You know, one for two, uh, one for one. Like if that's something that he can actually implement in his game, it will drastically change the Cavs' offense come playoff time. All right, we'll touch on uh, one piece of news before we get out of here. Not NBA. It's actually a little college football news. The college football playoff committee just today has officially set its new criteria for the 12-team playoff, which is going to start next year. It was a 6-6 six and six format. It's now a 5-plus-7 format. That means the top four seeds, the seeds that get first-round buys in the playoff, are going to be your Power 4 conference champions, SEC, Big 10, ACC, and Big 12. And a fifth spot, but not necessarily the five seed, is going to be given to your highest-ranked conference champion outside of those four. So that would be a group of five school because the Pac-12 only has two teams. The Pac-12 would not count for that, so Oregon State could not get in through the conference. And then you'll have seven wild cards that allow for other teams in the major conferences plus a potential Notre Dame. Uh, this was the expectation that they were going to handle this, but now that it's official, Jack, your thoughts. Yeah, I think from a numbers perspective, it's that's the right uh, distribution of, of teams. I'm interested to see the quality of what that fifth uh, conference championship conference champion will be going forward. Um, obviously, like a team like SMU, who's been really good, uh, not from the Power Five recently, or now Power Four recently, um, are going to be in the ACC next season. So like that's one fewer uh, quality program uh, to come out of the group of five. Maybe a team like James Madison keeps it rolling in that sense, or Tulane but they just had a, their head coach depart for a Big 12 school, Houston. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll get a few years down the line with the kind of in the NIL war chest era of college football and realize that that group of five school is not always going to be uh, a super competitive team and maybe we'll have to reevaluate that long term. But like otherwise, I think it makes complete sense, assuming that 12 was always going to be the number. It was always going to be the number. I, I guess the the where I'll... I'll piggyback on what you were saying the 
the the error of conference realignment, the idea that we have to give an auto bid to a group of five, is absolutely insane to me. If a group of five team is worry is worthy of getting into the college football playoff, they will not need the auto bid. And the reason I know that is because just three years ago, Cincinnati got in when they were only putting in four out of the AAC. So if your team is worthy of getting there, they can. Tulane two years ago under that uh, under a 12-team system would have had an excellent chance. They were obviously a team good enough to beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. But as these conferences continue to dilute and more of the strength of college football goes into the Big Ten and the, a and the SEC and to a lesser degree the Big 12, the idea that we're robbing ourselves of a chance to see uh, more of those teams at the expense of putting in who would it have been last year Air Force I, I mean it's just an insane idea to me yeah I mean I'm not going to pretend that I know the most about college football but I was always um, intrigued by the idea of a playoff expansion just because we had the um, basically the one through four seed and then they duked it out and then it was the national championship game but and I mean especially after the uh, Florida State controversy this year I think the five plus seven format I think I think it'll work. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, we will never have a Florida State situation a, a, again, which I, I would definitely say is a good thing. Yeah, thankfully people don't care as much about the difference between 12 and 13 as, <laughs> as 4 and 5, I think. Uh, but it should be an exciting viewership experience for the yeah, first Yeah, and from a USC perspective, hey, you look at that schedule in the 12-team format, win nine games you're probably in given how uh, how tough your schedule is and the respect the Big Ten's going to get. Yeah, and I think the most fun part about this is that teams are going to be able to host playoff games yeah that's uh, going to be a and lot the atmospheres at places like lsu and alabama and uh, ohio state are just going to be awesome yeah uh they they got to work on the scheduling a, a little bit they so the problem is because they're still operating sort of under the previous television contract and they haven't fully established they're basically doing the playoff two years early uh is the long and short of it so you're going to get like second round games on tuesdays and wednesday it's going to be a little weird but once they iron out those uh those kinks over the next couple of years or so, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, especially as we sort of see the dilution of college football. It's not quite as consolidated at the top anymore. But that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the For the Win podcast. No football, but that does not mean that we're not going to have a ton to talk about down the stretch of the semester as we go to the home stretch of NBA. And hey, maybe we'll talk hockey one week. Who knows? Uh, for Daniel Palmore, for Jack Hallinan, I'm Will Camardella. We'll talk to you next week.